what we're going to do today is we're going to jump into who we are. We closed out 2015 with the question, who is Jesus? And we went four weeks. And if you didn't make last Sunday because you were traveling or, uh, you know, sick or whatever, you need to go back and listen to that podcast on our website. It was amazing. Not because uh, I, I, I did well in communicating, because the truth of it was so strong that Jesus Christ is the victorious king. It was unbelievable. And it just awakening my soul to the fact, you know what? Why am I worried about this, that, and the other? At the end of it all, Jesus wins. He's winning now. He conquered sin, death, and the grave. Come on, somebody. That's who our Jesus is. So today, we're just going to take this week, this Sunday, and just kind of help you identify who we are. Who is Church on the Hill? Turn to the person next to you and say, who are we? Now, what are we? Who am I? What are we? Yeah, there you go. And we're, gonna, we're just going to kind of help you identify as the pastor, what is Church on the Hill? What are we? Who are we? What, we? what are we trying to be? What are we trying to do? What are we not? Hopefully you have those questions answered when you leave here so that you know how to be a part of this wonderful body called Church on the Hill. So with that being said, let me give you a couple thoughts. First and foremost, if you go to our website, you'll see that our vision statement is this, to relentlessly love Jesus, his church, and the hurting. Somebody say amen. You'll love this church if you want to grow in Jesus. You will hate this church if you don't want to get closer to Jesus. I am in love with Jesus, and it is a relentless pursuit of my life. And sometimes I find myself so embarrassed that I become so sloppy. Come on, somebody. I become so foolish. I become so carnal, and I have to jump back up and say, no, I will not be overcome by my own flesh and my own sinfulness, and I keep running after Jesus. Isn't that good? Say yes. So that's what this church is going to be. We're going to relentlessly love the church each other. Listen, I, I, I can point out everything about me that you won't like, but, but if you will stay close to me and still love me, then you'll have grace for me. And this is the problem in churches around the nations of the world, is that we stop loving each other and we start picking apart all of our weaknesses. Can I just help you? This is a church that's going to give you room to journey. I'll say it again. Give you room to journey. In other words, you know, listen, I get it. I get, I get it that you say, well, I can't believe that Pastor Adam would let that person, you know, stand there at that door. That person has this problem and this issue. Friend, listen to me. We all have problems and issues, and let's all give ourselves a little bit more space to journey. I tell you, you'd have a happier marriage if you gave them a little bit more space to journey in God. You'd have a lot more friends if you give people just a little bit more space. That's the church we're going to be. We're going to love each other. We're going to care for each other. We're going to be nice to each other. And if not, that's not who you are, man, I can name six other churches you can go to, and I help you get there. Amen. But this is who we are. We're going to love each other. Isn't that good? Say yes. The third thing in our vision statement is we're going to love the hurting. We're going to love the hurting. You say, oh, you know, I, I don't really know about you know, certain people coming up in here, you know, maybe they've had some problems sexually, they've had some drugs, they've had some kind of, you know, problem, you know, in prison or stuff like that. Friend, let me tell you something. Jesus said it like this. It's the sick, it's the hurting who need the doctor. And let me tell you something. My little mama and I brought her to church after that first week I got saved. And I brought her over to that church the next Sunday. And she had her little leather mini skirt on. She smoked a pack of cigarettes standing at the car waiting to come in the front door. And those, I'll never forget, those, uh, those, um, those deacons stood there with their suits all pious. And as my mom walked up, they gave her a look that you should not be here. She didn't feel welcome. She didn't, and and be, by the grace of God, she walked in anyway, got her life right with Jesus Christ. And I'm saved today. She's saved today. My stepdad's saved today. And we've changed 
against the world because we overcame the fact that, you know what, church is not supposed to be a place where the all holy and righteous go. It's a place where we all go and we find God. Come on, somebody, and that's who we're going to be. And so I'm just telling you, you better get ready for it. You better get used to it. If you're uncomfortable, listen, we're ministering to a generation that has had such difficulty. They've been lied to. They've been confused. They've been mistreated and mishandled uh, philosophically. They're all messed up. And let me tell you something. What are we going to do when somebody who used to be a man who made themselves a woman comes in here and starts serving God with us? You better learn how to love the hurting. Come on, somebody. He said, oh, I'll go to another church. Well, God bless you because we'll be here loving the hurting. All right? And so as, as we jump into kind of who we are, I want to just kind of tell you a couple of the facets about us. There's a couple of things that are real important to me. Number one, we're a spirit-led church. Somebody say amen. amen. I can't help you keep your marriage together by preaching better. If you don't have the Holy Ghost in the midst of that marriage, I promise you, I can't fix it. And books aren't going to fix it. You've got to be spirit-led. That's what the Bible is all about in the New Testament, telling us Romans 8 talks about the man who's led by the Spirit will not fulfill the sinful nature. But the man, the mind, the carnal mind, led by the carnal mind leads to death. Friend, listen to me. If you don't get the Holy Ghost working in your life, I love you. I bless you. I want to help you. But friend, you're going to keep fighting and fighting and fighting against that old nasty dead flesh, and it's going to keep destroying you. We will be a spirit-led church. Somebody say amen. The second thing about us is that a facet about us is that we are a Bible-centered church. If it's in the Word, we believe it. If it's in the Bible, Jesus did it, we're going to do it. New Testament church, we're going to do it. We just, it's in the Bible. We're going to be led by the Bible. We're not going to jump all around. And did you hear this revelation that Jesus is coming back tomorrow? Yeah, I don't find that in the Bible. In fact, what I found in the Bible, no man knows the hour or the season. So God bless you. Shut up and put that on, you know, sell that on eBay because we're not buying it. It's in the word. We're going to hold to it. It's going to be truth. Isn't that good? Say yes. So we're Bible centered. And so, uh, and, and, and because of that, we, we can stay right down the middle of the road and we don't chase every goofy doctrine that comes down the pipe. Here's the other thing about us, and that is we long for the gifts of the Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit to be active in our lives. I want to see you heal the sick and raise the dead. I want you to have the opportunity to have the gifts of the Spirit active in your life. I want you to, I want you to prophesy. I want you to have words of knowledge, words of wisdom. Why? Because that's, that's the gifts that He gave. But I want those to work, according to Scripture, with the fruits of the Spirit that you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The reason why some of you are a little apprehensive of the gifts of the Spirit, because you saw people use the gifts of the Spirit without the fruits of the Spirit. And so they were brutal. God says, and you're like, whoa, you're creepy. And they were, because they didn't have the gifts and the fruits working together. We will have them working together in this church. You will have words of knowledge that people will tell you something, you'll go, how did you know that? This man, I don't know who's going, God just told me. I just gave it. It's awesome. That's what's going to happen. People are going to get healed here. Come on now. You're going to lay hands on people at Walmart. They're going to get healed. They're going to get delivered. We're going to be what the New Testament church was. Isn't that good? Say yes. So that's some of our facets. Here's another facet. We're going to be authentic and not pretend to be something we're not. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Anybody know what that means? Say yes. Any that, does that apply to anybody in the room? Just me? Okay, God bless me. We all need to just be honest. Hey, we don't have it all together. We don't have it all figured out. I mean, listen, some things drive us insane. You know, I don't like the worship. It's too loud. We'll just be authentic about it and get over it and go on with Jesus. But we all need to just be real. People are, you know why people are scared of small groups? Because they know in a small group setting, they have to become friends with those people. And they know if they become friends with people, then they can't pretend to be something they're not anymore. Right? Why do you think we love small groups here? Because I found the freedom... And authenticity. I found the, the joy in having warts and people still love me. I found the, 
I found the beauty in being like Jesus was and his disciples were where they did life together. And so in those moments, obviously, Jesus saw all of their weaknesses and he didn't reject them. But he continued to embrace them and love them just the way they are. That's what church is supposed to be, friend. It's supposed to be the body of believers loving one another in spite of our shortcomings and our weaknesses. And the reason why people are inauthentic because they've learned to put up a facade so that they could be accepted. Well, you'll learn in this church, we don't accept facades. We get frustrated with them. When you come in, bless God, brother, I have a word from the Lord. I'm going to bless your ministry. God sent me here. God bless you. Sit down. Go join a small group and learn how to be real. That's what we do. You'll, you'll, see, you'll see that. You'll sense that. Because we believe in authenticity. And that's what we're going to be. Here's another facet. Boy, you got quiet. Here's another facet of who we are. And that is, in our church, we will have fun. This is the church on the hill. We're going to have fun. Listen, before I was a Christian, I had fun. Now that I am a Christian, I'm going to keep having fun. I'm going to enjoy God. I'm enjoy life. I believe that Jesus was constantly giving super wedgies to the disciples. I believe they laughed. I believe that they were throwing mud when they were walking through the river. You say, that's not my picture of Jesus. Well, friend, let me tell you something. He created me in his image, and, uh, and that means his nature and characteristics are in us, and all of us enjoy fun. That's why you smile when a baby is born, and you mourn whenever someone dies, because that's new life. It makes you laugh. It makes you giggle. And, uh, and that's why you, everybody wants a puppy and not a, a grown dog. Because puppies do dumb things that make you laugh. It's fun. Right? And I believe that we should have fun. Say yes. That's good. That's who we ought to be. All right. So you said, at what point will this pastor ever get to the passages of Scripture? Well, let me focus in today on the two big pieces of what Church on the Hill is and will continue to be. Number one, we will be a church with integrity. Would you write that down somewhere? Integrity. It'll be on the screen for you. And here's a passage of Scripture that's so important to me. It's found in Psalms 41. Verse 11 through 12, it says, I know that you're pleased with me, David says, for my enemy does not triumph over me. In my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Do you get that? In my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. We always say it like this. The, uh, the gifting on your life may get you there, but the integrity will keep you there. I don't want to be a church that lasted 20 years 30 years. I want to be a church that your grandkids are pastoring. I, I, I don't want us to be uh, just blow in and blow up and then we're done. I want us to have longevity. I want us to change the world. And the only way to change the world and be consistent day in and day out is in when you and I walk in integrity, when our yes is yes and our no is no. Come on, somebody. When we say that's what it's supposed to be, and therefore, even if it's painful, I'm going to walk in it. Look what Paul says in Corinthians. Look at this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 21. He says, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. We are taking pains to do what is right, to have integrity. Do you know what I'm struggling with with all the presidential candidates? I can't, I'm struggling to find more than one, maybe two, that has any kind of integrity. I appreciate that that person's made billions and billions of dollars, but how many people did you lie and manipulate to get to that? I appreciate that this one's done this, this, and this, but you didn't tell the truth last time. I just want somebody whose yes is yes and no is no. And Paul says it like this. He says, we've taken painful steps 
to walk in integrity, not only for the church, but for all the lost people who are watching us saying, you're supposed to be a Christian. And look what you done did. You done stole this. You done took this at work. You lied about this to your boss. Friends, we got to be people of integrity. This church will be a church of integrity. That's why our leaderships commit to just a little higher standard when it comes to certain things. When it comes to some of the things that are just gray areas in Christianity. Where, you know, just little areas that you might would say, well, that's not a big deal. And someone else would say, that's a big deal. We've gone beyond that just so that we can walk in integrity. So that there'll be no um, goofiness in the whole thing. So there'll be no judgment that we have taken pains to our own existence and let go of liberties that we have rights to so that we can have integrity in your eyes and in the world eyes. That's why we've done it, because that's what the Bible teaches. Can you imagine what your children think when you say one thing and you do something else? I was sitting with my dad. My dad's my stepdad. We were sitting over the holidays, and I asked him. He's, he, his first marriage, he had a, a son and a daughter, and his son obviously is my age and a little older, actually, and has, uh, has a son and now a grandson. So my, my dad has a grandson and a great-grandson. And so I was asking him, like, how, how's your son? And he goes, you know, and he starts weeping. He said, you know, my son's an alcoholic in his late 40s. My grandson is an alcoholic drug dealer. And now my great-grandson's being passed around from family member to family member because my, great, because my grandson's in and out of prison. And he began to weep. He said, I remember when my son was 10, 11 years old. I wasn't a Christian, obviously. And he said, and I was getting drunk. And his mama brought him in because... Uh, because he had gotten in trouble at school because he brought alcohol to school, snuck it in his book bag, and he and his buddies were drinking, drinking a, one of my beers that he stole behind the thing, and he, they were drinking. And he said, and I'll never forget. He said, I looked at him. I said, son, you are not allowed to drink. You shouldn't be drinking alcohol. It's bad for you as I push back another long neck. He, and he began to weep. He said, he said, and now I look back. I wasn't a Christian in that moment, but I look back, and I literally created What's happened in my family because of my lack of integrity? Because I said one thing, but I did something else. He said, and that lack of integrity literally has now cursed that, that portion of my, of, of my family. He says, and I've repented, and I've asked God to forgive it and break it. And, and, and of course, they have to make their own decisions. He said, but it, and here's my stepdad just weeping over the lack of integrity. And it's scarred on his mind from some 40 years ago or some 30-something years ago. He can't get past that moment as a moment of black integrity. Friend, let me tell you something. You and I have to be people of integrity. One of the things that I carry as the pastor of this church is to be sure that we walk in integrity. And one of the most important areas that we walk in integrity in is going to be our finances. And so I wanted to take a couple minutes today, and I wanted to give you a report of 2015 and our finances. Is that all right? Say yes. And so you're being passed out now. Just a quick review of 2015. And as you get it, I want you to know you're going to be so excited because God has done great miracles in Church on the Hill. Isn't that good? Say yes. And so this is our 2015 financial review. Maybe you went to a church before that never let you see the finances. You didn't know anything about the numbers. And, uh, and, uh, and maybe that was the way you, you, you kind of grew up in church. But we felt it important to give an account. And the, uh, integrity is only balanced out if there's accountability on what you said you did and didn't do. 
And so we have multiple folks involved in our finances to keep us full of integrity and character. But I wanted you, the church, to see it. We do this every year. And so this is 2015 income and expenses. And this is January through November. We did not have the ability to give you the December numbers because as we were putting all this together, we had to get it before, before Christmas. We had to get it to the printing, printing company. And the shipping company had to back and forth. And so we barely got this end, so we could not give you December numbers. And so what you got here is January through November. So if you look at the top, I'd like to announce to you that you gave in tithes alone $546,406.50. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. And I want to thank, thank that junior high kid who gave the 50 cents, buddy. God's going to bless you and multiply that back to you. Then we gave in offerings 34,046 and 4 cents. Come on, isn't Jesus good? And then the academy, the cafe, and our event centers, they all brought in a total of almost $50,000 this year in 11 months. The building fund, now if you know this, some of you are new to our church, and uh, when we took over this facility, we were just renting it with the hopes of buying it. I reached out to all my friends and all the people I knew that I'd travel and preach in their churches around the world, and I asked people to give us us a donation to help us raise $600,000. The reason why is because this property uh, was valued, the the mortgage left on it and the the bills owed on it was somewhere around $2.6 million, and uh, uh, 2.8 with the thing with the IRS. And so 20% of almost $3 million is $600,000. So in December of last year, I was asking friends and people and anybody at Church on the Hill to help us raise $600,000. We did a big campaign. And after just a few months, we raised $80,000 which meant that 600000 was going to take a long, long time. Come on, somebody. And so we didn't know, man, will we ever get this building in our name? And about three, four months, five months into renting and leasing this facility, the bank that had held the note came to us and said, hey, we're interested in helping you. Come on, somebody. And they said, you know what? We want to get you in that building. We want to give you a loan for it. I said, I don't have the 20% down. And they said, don't worry about it. Just pay the closing costs and a couple of upfront costs, and we're going to let you have a loan for it. And we got that loan months ago, and the building's in our name. Come on, Jesus. Give the Lord a hand. But as a result of that, with you giving a little extra, we came up with $98,000, almost, almost $99,000 in the building fund that we raised. Again, about 80 thousand of that came from our friends around the nation. Great people. Friends like Gateway Church gave us, uh, I think, five, six thousand dollars. My friends at Healing Place Church gave us about five thousand dollars. Come on. And a friend of mine who has a church plant that he's doing, he also owns a business, gave us twenty grand. Another friend of mine has a business, gave us ten thousand dollars. Just good people who believes in us. So I want you to know the eyes of the world are on you as a church. They believe in you and they put their money where their mouth was. And then we felt like the first couple months into pastoring many of you that you'd come from situations where people begged you for money, had manipulated you, and we could sense by way of the Spirit that it wasn't good to ask for any money for the building. So we stopped. And in the midst of that, trusting the Lord, God gave us a miracle where the bank came to us and gave us this long. It's at a high percentage rate. We're believing God to have that change this year, but at this point, it's all we could do, and it is such a miracle blessing. Isn't that good? Say yes. So as a result of that, once we got that miracle blessing, we, Jamie and I stood in front of you. We felt empowered by the Lord and, and, and pushed by the Lord to make sure that you gave something since we didn't have to put the down payment down, and, um, and so what we did, or since we didn't have to raise 20%, so we asked you to give a thank offering for the miraculous thing that God did, and that we would use it to just kind of fix up the building and spruce it up here and there as much as we would raise and we would put forth towards the building. And you brought forth $19,350. Give yourselves a hand. And we started multiple projects. 
If you go over into the kids' court, you can see all the new carpet and all the new construction. We've had multiple uh, uh, contractors in our church donate time and money and, and supplies as well. Just phenomenal. And, uh, and so we've, we're about halfway, I guess, through that, that thank offering, and we're continuing to spruce up stuff in the auditorium. If you've been in the auditorium there where the young adults meet and the, and the youth meet and others meet, um, you'll see how beautiful that looks. In fact, we, uh, we were laughing because Pastor Jonathan, we needed a new soundboard in there, and so he came to me. He said, look, I found the, the greatest deal on a digital soundboard. I said, how much? He said, it's $2,400. I said, ooh, praise God. Can you get it cheaper? He said, no, Pastor, that's a special. That's a deal. It's a digital, you know, soundboard. I said, great. See if they'll give us a discount because, uh, because they love us. And see if, is there one on Craigslist for half that price? You know, that's, you got to understand. It's God's resources. We got to be good with them. And he said, okay. So he came back. He said, they'll come down to $2,200. I said, oh, praise God. I said, well, listen, let's wait on that. <clears throat> so we waited a couple of weeks and, uh, and he came back to me. He said, listen, guess what? I got a friend that actually works at Guitar Center and they can, he can actually give us his discount as such a, it'll be 2000 flat. I said, woo, praise the Lord. Well, let's just wait on that and let's see what else God does. I'm that guy. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and so, and so uh, at Christmas, he comes around. He goes, the manufacturer's putting it on sale. It's $1,800. I said, buy, buy now, buy, buy. So we bought it, and they were installing it yesterday. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so excited. So let's look at our expenses. Uh, you see missions, it's 55000 We give 10% of the tithe to missions uh, every year. Come on now. We believe that if you and I give our personal 10% of our income to the tithe to the church, that the church ought to give 10% to missions and people hurting around the world. Isn't that good? And we take that and we break that down into foreign missions. We do some local missions. We support, you know, the food pantry and we do some church. We support a group of church planners and things like that. Uh, you'll see we spent $11,000 on celebration service. The Clark Road campus down payment, as we talked about earlier, once we put the little bit, it wasn't, a, it wasn't completely a down payment, it was that and closing pieces, and that came to $95,000. The facilities this year have cost us two hundred and fifty-three, right at $254,000. So you see the bulk of our expenditures as a church is for this facility. So every day you walk in it, you need to thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful facility. Just like your mortgage is probably the, the biggest bill at your home, and, uh, and that's the same thing here. I'm believing God the next four or five years that we just, we pay that bad boy off and be done with it and then doesn't matter if the government folds or uh, you know the antichrist rises up they won't be taking us out of our building we got a building amen so anyway there you go and then uh <laughs> leadership development we spent just close to twenty thousand you'll see that at nineteen seven eight eight point zero four operational expenses seventy uh, six almost seventy seven thousand special events and outreaches right at 34,000, staff salaries, 153,000, uh, and some change. Let me tell you a little bit about that. So, so the majority of our staff, of our team, are bivocational. In other words, they have other jobs. And then we give them a stipend, and we give them a little bit here and there. The reason that is, because you got to understand, it was according to our vision. Um, most churches, the way a church starts, typically, so, you know, a guy, uh, a, a husband and wife, they start a church, or they, or they uh, take over a church, and let's say they have about 100 people or so, the pastor usually gets a salary, and what does he do? He does everything. At that stage, he does all the preaching, all the counseling, he fixes everything in the building, he runs all the finances, blah, blah, blah. Then they get a little bit bigger, and he hires his wife on staff, and she runs the finances, 
she leads worship, she does the kids' ministry, he does the youth ministry, he preaches on Sunday, he counsels, he visits the hospital, he does everything else. Then they get a little bit bigger and they'll hire somebody to do the youth ministry because the pastor realized I'm stupid, I can't even help young people, and people are leaving my church because we don't have a youth ministry. So then they'll hire a youth pastor and he'll be in charge of youth, he'll be in charge of maintenance, he'll be in charge of scrubbing the toilets because he's young and new and dumb, and so we're going to work him like slave labor. And then he'll cut, he'll do all the media stuff and that kind of thing. And then as they grow a little bit more, then they'll hire somebody to do the worship. And then, uh, and, they, and that's what they do. And they pay them full salaries to do that. We didn't want to do that because we had high caliber people all around us that could be kids pastors and worship leaders. And at the same time, we weren't big enough and strong enough to give them full salaries, but they were committed to the vision of loving you, come on now, and giving you an excellent interaction with the things of the Lord and taking care of your kids in a professional way and ministering to you at the coffee cafe, come on somebody. And so they are willing to work a full-time job and get a little stipend from the church because they're all in. So they'll work their 40, 50 hours a week, and then they'll come give 15, 20, 30 hours a week sometime at Church on the Hill. So you better not doggone be mean to them or I'll knock you out because these people are giving everything they got to make your life and minister to you properly. Isn't that good? Say yes. And that's who we are. So there you go. Anyway, I brought that forward. All right. So the total with all of the building funds and everything, come on, get ready to shout, 702,509.42. Thank you, Jesus. Wow, that's magnificent. And then, uh, and so if you look over here to the right, You'll see in 2011, our church brought in a total of tithes and offerings of 189,000. 2012, we increased, we grew uh, to 254,000. We also grew in numbers. 2013, we started tapering off a little bit, not quite as much of a leap, and we brought in 286,000. And by 2014, uh, we we barely brought in more than we did the year before. We barely grew as a church. That's when we were crying out to God to give us a facility. He gave us this facility, and 2015 came to a total of tithes and offerings to uh, $580,000, almost double. Give yourselves a hand. God brought you. You are an answer to our prayer, and we are one church now. Look on the back. It shows our vision statement that we already mentioned to you. It says, our vision of the church on the hill is to relentlessly love Jesus, his church, and the hurting. Goals for 2016. Number one, to expand our influence in multi-campuses. Our vision is to have multi-campuses. Um, in fact, I'll just give you a heads up on this since it didn't work out. But uh, about three months ago, I was approached by uh, a church in Arlington that had um, 44,000 square feet uh, facility, church facility, that in their bylaws, they had to give to someone else if they could not maintain their facilities anymore. The church had shrunk down to less than 20 people. The uh, youngest person in the church was 70 years old, and they were looking for a church that was vibrant to give it to. And so, um, so we came into a relationship 44,000 square feet. This facility is 38,000 square feet. Um, it had an it had a, a auditorium, uh, excuse me, a sanctuary that held 200 people. So picture that in your mind. That means they had 200 classrooms. That's exactly what they had. So that'll give you a little connotation on what type of denomination they were. Anyway, and so they were interested in giving it to us. And so we, were, we, were, we felt like it was the Lord. We know that we'll have multi-campuses. We went back and forth. The, it, the value of the property was $4 million, and it was all paid for. Just hold on. Let me just, okay. 
And so, and so we were all excited about it, and we were working with our financial, uh, you know, folks about maybe getting, you know, uh, remodeling money and going in there and doing a second campus. Uh, 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 what happened, though, and I got this right before Christmas, they came back and they told us, listen, there was another church that was interested in it. We felt like it might fit them better, so we gave it to them instead of you. And I was like, praise the Lord, because what that means is God's got something else for us. Come on now. And that we weren't quite ready for that. So every time you dream about something and it doesn't quite go the way you want, just realize... God loves you so much that he'll protect you from what you want. And he'll give you what you need in the moment that he needs you to have it. Isn't that good? Say yes. So I'm not worried about it. I'm not upset about it. We will have multi-campus. You say, well, multi-campus, what do you mean by that? Our vision is not to have my face on a screen and everybody sitting there watching it. Our vision is to raise up men and women and have them pastor, preach, teach, evangelize, and turn people loose. And then we work as a team. And so that's what you'll start seeing different ones preaching uh, here and at the other campuses. We'll rotate us and things like that. It'll be awesome. You say, well, how are you going to go about doing that? Our goal is that, you know, if you get, you know, you start building your small group, starts growing and we end up with 100 people down in Venus, why not just start a church down in Venus? Come on now, let you preach it. You're doing so good raising up people, just go for it and we'll work together. And so that's our vision. How many of you guys, don't raise your hand, how many of you guys have been to Fort Worth and seen the McDonald's there? It's four stories high. It's got a parking garage that's three stories and um, it has, uh, it has um, 100 cash registers and they can feed 10,000, they can seat 10,000 people at one time. How many of you have seen it? That's right, don't raise your hand. How many of you have seen it? You seen it. That's because it doesn't exist. Yet McDonald's feeds more people in the world at one time than anybody else. How do they do it? By putting one on every corner. See, we don't need to build big buildings and get everybody to come to them. We just need to put you on a corner and let everybody that you can minister to come and put you over there on that corner and you preach it and get them saved and them. And we just need to keep releasing ministry instead of holding it all to just a select group of people. Listen, let me tell you something. Y'all not going to make me that guy. I'm not going to be that. I'm not going to be the guy that faces everywhere and all that. Let me tell you why. Because I'm smart enough. I'm not going to get sniped by the devil, by myself. We're going to get all of y'all ministering to. And he, look, he got plenty to shoot at. He ain't going to just be shooting me. We're going to do this as it's family. Come on now. Isn't that good? Say yes. And so anyway, that's, that's our finances. I hope that you, uh, oh, well, let me, I, I got one more I got to get to. We want to see over a thousand new souls brought into the kingdom this year. We saw over 500 people make decisions for Jesus last year. I don't think we'll have any problem through our small group life, through our outreaches, through our celebration services, seeing a thousand this year, especially as we open more campuses as well. And so we don't want to take a hundred people on a short-term mission trip, which we're about to explain to you, and we want to dum- double the number of life-giving small groups. Do you believe that? Say yes. Good. Then I, I, right now, I call you to lead a small group. Amen. All right. Now, seriously, I do need you. I need you. Say, so, well, I, you know, I didn't go to Bible school. So what? You got you got all kinds of you got all kinds of life experience, and you're still loving Jesus. You say, "Oh, I got so many problems." You don't understand. We got more. Promise you. We just we just need people who say, "Man, I love you. I'll pray for you." I don't really know what the Bible says about that, but but uh, but don't don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? As long as we can just help one another grow in God, stand beside each other, then we'll grow in Jesus and uh, and we'll touch the world. The second part that's important to me is Church on the Hill is that first and foremost that we walk in integrity with our finances, with the way we do ministry. Hopefully you've seen that. We've not allowed people to um, permeate or dominate uh, ministry here in the facilities. You'll know we don't have anybody running around doing something dumb. We stop it. We walk in integrity when it comes to your children, our young people, our young adults. We don't have anybody up on stage sleeping around with somebody. We're not going to have it. Shut them down. See you. God bless you. Not going to have it. We don't have anybody messing around on their spouses, leading small groups and things like that. 
We're just doing our best to walk in integrity. I don't mean we're not going to have people who make mistakes and we've got to learn and walk through it and we've got to deal with those things. That's going to happen. That's life. But we're going to walk in integrity. We're going to walk in integrity in our finances. We're not going to say that we took this much money up and then, you know, Pastor Adam went and bought him a limo. You know, we're not going to do stuff like that. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not going to buy the best soundboard we can get when we can get one that will do us that's a little cheaper. Come on, somebody. We're going to use that finances to do what needs to be done. Isn't that good? Say yes. You'll notice around here. We didn't, you said, man, that, that, they ought to paint that wall. We should. And when more money comes in, we will. But until that time, we're fine. It's a, it's a wall. It's standing. It's beautiful. Let's go. There's great things. I'd love to do a million things. But why spend God's resources on that when people are dying and going to hell? And so that brings me to our second big piece of who we are. Number one, church on the hill are people of integrity. Number two, we're going to be people who are missional. Missional. Write that down on that little piece of paper or in your phone, whatever you're writing down, because I want you to understand this. That missional concept comes straight from the Lord our God himself. Jesus said it like this. In Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, he said, all authority in heaven on earth, that's on the screen, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. This is the last kind of final commission or mission that Jesus gives. I kind of picture he's died, he's resurrected, he's standing there with his disciples, he's about to ascend into heaven, and as he's standing there, he says to them, listen, let me give you the final mission, the reason for your existence, that which you're on this planet to do, and that is Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Friend, let me tell you something. Life is not about getting the next house or the next car or putting your kids through college. Life is about, there is a mission for you and me as believers, and that is to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded. The reason why some of you are so frustrated in life is you're trying to be good and not be bad. You don't have a mission. You're trying to live good and not be bad, but yet you don't have the God mission in your life. He gave us the God mission. It's Matthew 28. It's the most famous passage in scripture for anyone who really loves Jesus. And that is, I must be about my father's business, making disciples of all nations. You're not going to blame me on that day. When you stand before the king of glory and you're in line and they call your name and they say, Damon, and you stand there, how did you do what I commanded you to do to make disciples of all nations. It won't matter how many degrees you have. Stay with me. Won't matter how many houses you built. Stay there. Won't matter how much money you made. He will ask you, did you accomplish the mission that I gave you? And you won't turn around in the back of the line and say, Pastor Al, why didn't you tell me about that? Why didn't you kick me in the backside until I did what Jesus said to do? You know, I won't be blamed to that. This church won't be blamed to that. We will be a missional church. We will make disciples. We will challenge you day in and day like, man, every time I go to church, he's always challenging me. Oh my goodness. I just want to go and I just want people to give me popcorn and I just want my kids to come home with some ice cream. I don't. Not here. We're missional. There's a mission. It must be accomplished. We will give an account for that mission. Jesus clarified it even more in the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when he says it like this, and you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the the ends of the earth. So he says this to them. Listen, I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. The power of the Holy Spirit is not so that you and I can go, talk in tongues. Tongues is beautiful. It's wonderful. I pray in tongues. 
I want you to pray in tongues. You don't have to pray in tongues to go to heaven. But you receive the power so that you can be my witnesses. Not to go witnessing. Don't misunderstand the passage. I'm not giving you power so you can now go witnessing. I'm giving you power to be like me. To be like me. Not to go knock on doors. Hey, brother, if you don't, if you die right now, would you burn in hell? That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is you look like me, you act like me, you talk like me. When you're around sick people, you touch it and they get healed. Whenever you're at work, you act so much like me that people go, I want your God. I want, all I see is the Father in your eyes. That you are able to be like me, to be a witness, to be a testimony that I have changed your life, that I'm living and abiding in you and transforming everything around you to be my witness. Are you with me? Say yes. We will be held accountable to the mission. So Church on the Hill is missional. You'll always hear us talking about going and doing the mission. Listen, if you were in the military and your mission was to kill Osama bin Laden, it wouldn't matter what circumstances happened throughout that whole tour or whatever was transpiring that kept you from it. The mission remains the mission. And the mission is to make disciples of all nations. And then in Jesus even qualifies it a little better here when he says in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. So what that meant was, you got to understand, Jerusalem was the city they were in. We're going to make it hard to go to hell from Cedar Hill. We're going to make it hard to go to hell for those of you that live in Grand Prairie from Grand Prairie. That's why we need you to have multiple small groups in Grand Prairie because we need, we need lights, points of light on in every neighborhood. Come on now. We need folks working. We, don't, we want to make it hard to go to hell from AT&T. That's why you work in there. That's why God gave you that spot. Everything you're doing, yes, it's a wonderful income source, but you're there to bring forth the mission of God and make disciples of all nations. And that's our Jerusalem is our city. Let me tell you something. As Church on the Hill, let me tell you how missional we are. We started getting people involved in city government. Here in Cedar Hill, we started getting people involved in education. We got people involved in business. Why? So that we could shine forth his light in our city. So that we can make disciples of our city. Come on now. That's why we got involved. That's why we do what we do all throughout the city. That's why we serve. That's why we pick up trash. That's why we're a part of the city business. Because we are a light to the lost and the dying all around us. And then he moves on and he says, and he says um, Jeru- uh, Judea and Samaria. And that really is kind of a broader region. Be, almost like be like a state or a grouping of states, if you will, in Bible times, what he's talking about here, a province, if you will. We are very much involved in doing that exact thing as well. We have something called GMN. Pastor John and Lisa Hunter, would you stand up? Pastor John and Lisa Hunter, would you give them a hand? They, uh, they, they, um, they let go of their church. God called them to come help us. They are overseeing our GMN, and that is a group of churches, of young guys who are planting churches, and 2% of Church on the Hill's budget goes to that church planting effort, and Pastor John and Lisa are in there building those guys up. We take that money, we, we get them chairs when they need chairs. We help them buy a sound system and things like that, and those churches are growing and maturing, and some of you got to see them at the night of worship. Those guys were here. We laid hands on them. We encouraged them, and we're touching the nations through this network of churches, and Pastor John and Lisa are going over there preaching for them, laying hands on them, praying for them, encouraging them, taking their years of ministry experience and applying it to these guys who are planting churches. Isn't that good? So we're getting Judea and Samaria covered. And then, the last piece, to the uttermost parts of the world. I'm your pastor today because when I was 14 years old, I was sitting in the youth group and the, and the, and the youth pastor said, so we're going to take a short-term missions trip. Who wants to go to Africa? And everybody's like, yeah, we'll go to Africa. It'd be $2,800 you got to raise. 
Everybody's like, oh, I don't want to go to Africa. He said, how many of you guys want to go to Mexico? Yeah, I want to go to Mexico. He said, oh, yeah, that'll be $1,000. And so everybody put their hand back down. He said, who wants to go to Haiti? It's the poorest country in our hemisphere. It's going to cost you $1,200. Nobody raised their hand by this point. But the finest girl in our youth ministry raised her hand. And when she raised her hand, I looked around. Nobody else. I raised my hand. I'm going where she's going. I'm telling the truth. This is a true story. And so, man, I'd never been on a mission trip. I didn't know what it was, but I went about raising money. I'd knock on doors. I'll crack this egg on my head if you give me five dollars. Give me five dollars. Go mission trip. I car washed cars. I did what I begged people. I cut grass and I raised that money. And I went on that mission trip. And I was sitting there when we first got off the plane. They took us to the cardboard city where all these little kids were drinking water from the sewer puddles. And they had no parents. They were living in cardboard shacks that they had made. Nailed up a piece of wood against a telephone pole, as far as you could see. And their little eyes were bloodshot because at five and six years old, they're sniffing glue. And they're asking me, sa, 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 you give me, sa, sa, money. And I went to give them money. And the missionary said, don't you give them money. They'll just go snuff, sniff glue. I was like, well, what, what do you mean? They're, that kid's five years old. He's six years old. He said, I'm telling you, don't give them that money. We'll give them food, but don't give them money. And it broke my heart. And I stood there for the first time as a spoiled American kid. And I realized, what is life about? I had trophies from every sport that I'd ever played. I had stacks of girlfriends that I had been through. I had my plan on being wealthy and successful. It was in that moment that my heart broke for what really mattered in the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, giving them hope, giving them the true reason for existence. Surely I'm with you always to the very end. We're going to do short-term mission trips this summer. I'd like uh, Miss Erica Byler to come up here. Would you give her a hand? She's our director of missions. Now, Erica, we did four trips, three trips last year. Three, yes. Yeah, tell us, everybody, where we went. We went to Nevada, the Navajo Nation, and to Haiti. Now, you have been involved in missions since you were a little girl. Tell us about that. Yeah, I really, the Lord called me to missions actually here in Dallas, Texas at CFNI at YFN. And uh, just traveled all the world, and uh, the Lord's really just opened my eyes to being a vessel, you know, yeah. being used. You were, uh, you graduated college, and I'll never forget, uh, Erica kept saying, I'm going to go live in Spain. God told me to go live in Spain. I was like, great. She was finished college, and as soon as she finished, she raised as much money as she could, which was not quite enough, and she went to Spain for one year. What all did you work, who all did you work with? Yeah, I really, um, Spain was a really wonderful experience because uh, long-term missions, obviously different than short-term missions, but it changed my life because I worked with young people there. You know, Europe has a long history of uh, just uh, lots of bad, bad blood with the church, and so I worked with youth who were just disillusioned with church and God and yeah. saw the Lord transform their hearts and uh, really just, you know, the Lord ministered to them, changed their lives forever. It was really awesome. You know, people ask me all the time, say, your kids are so awesome, and man, your family, why, why is that? Well, you heard my wife talk about when she was 15 years old, standing there smuggling Bibles into China. We started taking our children on short-term mission trips when they were little. And I believe that's what broke that whole selfish American mentality off of them. I believe that's why they're servants. I believe that's why they're kind and nice. And uh, I'll never forget when Mariah was standing over the bed of this child in Mexico at um, a special needs hospital uh, where these kids really, most of them were demonized, and they're chained to the bed. And this 15-year-old kid, special needs kid, looks like a grown man, comes up off of the bed in a demonic uh, 
episode, and Mariah is just standing there, probably 10, 11 years old, and, uh, and this thing goes, and she goes, ah, and she starts praying and sits back down, that kind of thing, and the peace of God, and then teaching little kids to brush their teeth in this orphanage and things like that. I believe that's what broke that whole American selfish mentality and it caused our family to be so connected and so missional because we have a mission not only as individuals, as a family and as a church. We want to see you become a part of a short-term mission strip. We are believing God for a hundred of you to go on short-term missions this year with us in some kind of capacity. And so with that being said, Miss Erica and uh, Pastor Ryan Aldaffer have put together a little video kind of showing you what we did last year, kind of giving you a heads up for this year. Would you play that video for me? your missions director here. I just want to personally invite you to be part of the life-changing experience that is Cough Missions. Last year, we sent teams to Nevada, to the Navajo Nation, and to Haiti. I know all of you guys remember Pastor Adam's powerful testimony about how a trip to Haiti changed his life forever. It is Pastor Adam and I's heart to see every single one of you on a Cough Missions trip. That's right, you sitting right there on a Koth missions trip this year. What better opportunity than this summer? We have four trips planned. There's something for everyone. Our trips are family friendly and they're led by our very own Koth mission team leaders. They're safe and affordable for the whole family. If you guys are interested, just email me at ebyler at koth.us or find me at guest services in the front lobby after service. I just want to encourage you guys real quickly. In 2016, I know some of you guys have been praying for the Lord to reveal himself to you and reveal himself through you. And so I pray that this year would be your year that the Lord becomes more real to you. And I've never seen that more impactful than in missions. So I want to pray over you guys now if you just bow your head. Lord, I just thank you for Church on the Hill, God, for our um, our just heart for uh, missions, Lord, our heart to reach the world. I thank you for every person sitting under the sound of my voice right now, Lord God, and I thank you that 2016 would be a year of increase, Lord, a year that they see you move through their hands, Lord God. I pray that they would all be willing vessels, Lord God, whether that means on the mission field or here, Lord God, in Cedar Hill, Texas. I thank you, Lord God, that you would use them, that you would work through them, Lord God, that you would begin to stir something inside their hearts to say, I want to give hope to somebody who has no hope. I want to see the sick be healed. I want to see the dead be raised, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would burn this passion inside of them, Lord God, and that you would do something real and something new inside of their hearts. In 2016, Lord God, we pray this in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. If you if you're interested, not committing, but interested, uh, would you put the Facebook uh, page up there? I'd like for you, even as you sit there, go to this Facebook page, Church on the Hill Missions. You can find it and just friend it or um, explain Join the group. Join the group, yeah. And then that way you can get um, 
post of what, what's happening and the teams that are going. You can see kind of spark your interest. You can kind of alleviate some of your fears, answer some of your questions through that. But I'd love you to go right now and just kind of click and join the group. You say, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to go. Well, at least if you did that and join the group, at least you'd know who has needs and maybe, maybe you can help finance some of it, you know, uh, throughout the year. They're, they'll all take off and we'll take those trips in, in the summertime. So I'd love for you to believe God. Now you're, you're starting now figuring out what you're going to do this year on vacation and things like that and take a few days, go to a trip and, and, uh, and help a kid level with some folks who are hurting. And uh, for two of these trips, I, you don't even need a passport. And so that's easy. You don't even have to go to passport. Uh, you can bring your kids with you. Uh, your kids can go with you. And uh, I think it'll change your family. It'll change your life. And um, it's what changed our life. Church on the Hill will be people who are full of integrity and will be a missional church. It'll be a church that we're constantly trying to be obedient to the mission that God gave us. Would you stand with me all across the room? And as we stand, you've been so gracious to us today. As I just try to reiterate who we are, when we come back next week, we'll start into a series that we call Look and See. And I believe God's going to give you revelation of how God sees you. The spiritual you, the relational you, and the physical you. And I believe that by the end of this series this month, that you and I will have a trajectory to become the men and women of God that we always dreamed we would be. And a strategic plan on how to do that, how to accomplish that. And so that's our goal starting next Sunday. But today, today it was my heart that you know who we are. So that you know, is this the church? Is this the church that I want to raise my family in? I don't know about you, but I want my children's children's children to serve the Lord. I want them to have something bigger than just going to church and hearing music and hearing preaching. Come on now. I want them to see lives change. I want my kids to lay hands on, on kids who are special needs kids in Mexico and see them delivered and see them healed. I want them to know what it is to weep as they roll around, you know, on the grass with kids who have no moms and dads and, uh, and uh, aren't, aren't uh, eating very well. It's our heart. We have multiple missions organizations connected with our church and, uh, and many things that we have plans to do this year and the years to come. And I'd like to see you participate in it. I want you to close your eyes with me for a moment. We'll close out in this last prayer. Father, I pray that every man and woman in this room right now would hear your call. Hear your call to be a missional individual. That they would recognize that Church on the Hill, we're going to constantly be making disciples. It's what you told us to do. We have to be obedient. Lord, that they would get past their fears that they're not good enough, that they're too sinful, that they've made too many mistakes, that they had nothing to give. And they would recognize the fact that they love you is more than most. And that, Lord God, what they've been through, the mistakes, the horrible things, that literally, Lord God, they're, they're strength for others. That they literally are step-ups for those who, who can't see to get past that. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, every man and woman in this room would embrace the fact they need to be full of character and integrity this year, and they need to be missional. And that, Lord God, that church on the hill would be obedient in that. That, Lord God, that we would be a church that walks in integrity and that we would be missional. And that, Lord God, all the days of our life, all the days of our life will have meaning, purpose, reason to live because we're missional, accomplishing that which you called us to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Say this with me across the room. Say, Jesus. Jesus. You can do better than that. Say, Jesus. Jesus. I I commit in 2016. To be everything you dreamed I would be. Jesus, I want to be a person 
who walks in integrity. Help me. Jesus, I want to be missional. Help me. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And I love you with everything. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless the church on the hill. We'll see you at a small group this week. We'll see you next Sunday. High five that person next to you. God bless you. Go get your kids. And we love you dearly.